He always is. Let me just get myself ready here. But I tell you, I don't think I have to get myself too much more spiritually ready. This place is ripe. Amen? Are you ripe this morning to hear the word of God? This is good. Well, like Pastor said, my name is Fallon. Uh, me and Ryan lead the youth group here. So if you don't mind, I might, it, for, just to help my nervousness, if I have any, I'm just going to try to imagine you all as teenagers. Do you mind if I do that? I didn't say act like teenagers. I just want to imagine you as teenagers, and I think it would be a little bit easier for me. Well, let's, are you ready? Let's begin. The value of something is determined by what someone will pay for it. I'm going to say that again for you. The value of something is determined by what someone will pay for it. I like a good garage sale. I like to find the things that people don't really think are cool anymore. And I, to me, they're cool. Which is kind of geeky, but that's just something I like. And I've got good partners in crime, Mandy and Ryan's mom, Sandra. They, actually, they're the ones that got me into it, so it's their fault. But so we found this one garage sale. We didn't know where it was, so we went out in the country. We got lost, but we finally found our way. And it's way on the other side of Thunder Hill, and it was kind of out in the boondoggies. And we thought, well, we sure hope we find something here. And so there was lots of stuff to look through. Not a whole lot I was interested in, but there were these two uh, picture frames, and they were quite ornate. They were, I think they were wooden, I don't know, they, they wouldn't be everyone's taste, but I, they're kind of trendy right now. So I thought, well, I'll take these and see what she wants for them, because they didn't have a price on it. So I bring them up to her, and she's like, oh, you like that kind of thing? Well, I saw those going online for at least $200 each. And I'm like, <clears throat> no. <laughs> she said, but... I'd probably let them go for maybe $20 each if you really like them. So from two, 200 to 20 that's not a bad deal. But in my mind, I was thinking, well, if these are like 5 bucks each, I might get them. That would be kind of a cool find. So when she said 20 I wasn't quite there. So I said, you know, I really appreciate that you'd give me that price, but I don't think they're quite worth that much to me. And okay, she said. But you see, it wasn't worth that much to me, so I wasn't willing to pay for it but to her it was. That's why garage selling can be good or not so good. There's another, there's a show, we, a show me and Ryan watched that's about, um, does everyone know what a picker is? Put your hand up if you know what a picker is, if you ever heard that before. A picker is someone who goes around to, play, anywhere they can go, sales or just people who have big collections and they, and they look through their stuff to find the gems that are actually worth something and they flip it. They sell it to other people and they make money and that kind of thing. So pickers, they can walk into a room that's roof high full of junk and garbage is what it looks like. No order, just total clutter and they'll get on boxes and they'll dig around and they'll, and they'll reach to the bottom and they'll pull it. Look what I found! And it's like a rusty bike chain or something. And they think it's the most valuable thing ever. And they're right. They can sell it for like $200 or something. And it, some, the value of something is determined by what someone will pay for it. Now, a lot of Forbes, put, they put out a list of every year about the, mo the wealthiest people in the world. Bill Gates is again at the top of the list. His net worth is over 79 billion, with a B, billion dollars. 
couple years ago, I, I used this at youth, but it was a different guy, and he only had 69 billion, so this is way more, 79 billion, and to get that amount of money, like, to make sense to my head, we broke it down, and here's a fact. If you were to spend $1 million every day, it would take you 216 years to spend $79 billion. He's worth a lot of dollar signs. But we all know that worth is more, so much more than just dollar signs. Take, for example, my wedding ring. I mean, all in, it's probably like, it's maybe $2,000, somewhere around there, nine years ago. And so, I mean, I could pawn it if I needed a little bit of cash, but, but to me, its value goes beyond the dollar signs because it's a symbol of something that can't be bought. It's a symbol of the covenant I made with my husband. There's no price tag for that. So we know value goes beyond numbers. And by the end of this message, this is, where, this is where I titled this message, Live in Love. Now that's going to have a whole lot more meaning by the end, is what I'm believing. Are you believing with me? Yes. That's going to hold a lot more meaning for us at the end of this message. Live in love. How much are you worth to God? A lot of time in Christianity and in churches, we worship God as we should, and we elevate him as we should, and we know that he is supreme and that he is it. He is all good. He is righteous, and those things are all true. But so often we view him up here and us down here on the ground in the dirt. And I'm going to challenge that perception today with the word of God that says differently. And I want you to start thinking how much God values you. Okay? In a court setting, any statements made by a, by a prosecutor, like he can't just come into court and be like, well, you're guilty because we think you are. That's not going to hold up. A judge can't say, okay, carried, you're guilty. That doesn't hold up. It has to, they have to have a statement and then they have to have evidence to back up their statement. Well, the word is like that as well. And this morning, we're going to find statements of love in the word of God. And we're going to follow it up with the evidence to support it from the word of God. So this is going to be good news, because it's not just some good ideas that I came up with. I've come up with some good ideas, but that, my good ideas are not going to get you through this week and your life the best, with the best that God has for you. So let's, let's make it the word this morning. So let's start with John 3.16. Most of what I'm going to do this morning is in a New Living Translation, but this first one is New King James. And hopefully it's familiar to a lot of us. It is a good verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I want to take the first half of that verse and we're going to break it down into two things, the statement and the evidence. For God so loved the world. That's a statement right there. But if it didn't have the second part of it, it wouldn't really mean as much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
what, this is a little bit of a side trail, but I just, I just love how the word puts this, that it doesn't just say that God loved the world, it adds a measure to it, an amount, for God so loved the world. I don't know about you, but I'm in, I'm in the world. I'm a part of the world. Everybody here is a part of the world. So what I like to do is I like to put my name in there. For God so loved Fallon that he gave his only son for her. See what I mean? Just love the word of God and how we personalize it, and it can take on a whole new meaning to us. But it's a statement followed by a proof. Think about it in this way. If you had a guy and a girl who really liked each other and all they did was sit around all day and said, Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you too. No, but I really love you. Oh, I love you more. No, I love you more. You know, they could say that for a while and annoy the rest of us, but at some point, that's not going to be enough. I really love you. You told me that already. You know, like it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be enough. So their statement of love then has to be followed up by a question, will you marry me? I do, I do. And that allows the relationship to move forward. It's not just statement of, after statement of love after statement of love after statement of love. It's important, but there was evidence of it. And that evidence in that situation would be marriage. So let's go after some more statements of love. Because we can find it all over the word. Let's go to John 16, 27. I'll set the scene just a little bit. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's trying to explain to them what's going to happen, that he's going to die, that he's going to be raised from the dead, and that he's going to go and ascend into heaven, and they're going to continue the work, but he's not going to be here with them. And he's trying to get this through to them, and they're trying their best to, to understand. And he tells them, that you're not going to need me to pray to God for you. You can just pray to him when I'm, when I'm gone. Because for the Father himself loves you dearly, because you love me and believe that I came from God. He said, you don't, you don't need me to pray for you after, you know, after Jesus died on the cross and went, went to heaven. Because God loves you dearly, you can pray to him yourself. And you have a relationship with him now because of what I'm going to do. So for the Father himself loves you dearly. That's a statement. Let's go to Jeremiah 31.3. Now this passage of scripture was written about, about the Israelite families. Uh, but having entered into the kingdom of God with the new birth, I have become a part of the Israelite family. You know what I mean? I've taken on the name of the Lord. And I am his people. So this passage is talking about me as well. And he says this in verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. A statement of love. Let's look at another one. John seventeen twenty three. This is Jesus' final prayer. And he gets down to the end of his prayer. And... and it's so neat because he prays and he says, I'm not just praying for, for the, my disciples right now. I'm praying for everyone, whoever, who will ever believe in me. I'm praying for them right now. 
So Jesus, when he was on on this earth, he prayed for me. He prayed for you. Insert your name here. And he prayed, and then this is what he prayed right after that, that the world will know that you sent me and that I love and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus' prayer was to God was that, Lord, let them know that you love them as much as you love me. You know, it's easy for us to say, well, that's Jesus. Of course God loved him. He was perfect. He was all God. He was all man. Of course God loved him. Jesus prayed that we would know that God loves us just as much as he loved Jesus. So here's a question. We've looked at some statements of love. So how can we know the love of someone we can't be near? See, if all we had in this book were statements that God loved us and nothing else, no evidence to prove it, how could we ever know for sure if we couldn't, if we couldn't be near him? Well, that's, it was like a wall, right, between us and us and God. And that's why Jesus had to come. So Jesus, God did more than just tell us he loved us. He gave us Jesus. And he proved it when he did, when he did that. So Jesus, being all God and being all man, lived a perfect life here on earth, a perfect life of, of obedience and unity with God. And because he could do that, He was able to take our place and smash down the wall between us and God forever, for good. No one is exempt. And the wall between us and the one who loves us has been broken down forever. Forever. So now, let's look at the evidence. Let's look at how that happened. Let's start in Romans 3, 23-25. For everyone has sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. This is a beautiful beginning of this sentence. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Listen. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life and shedding his blood. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love because God already loves you. The only thing we suffer or we fight to enter into is knowing and believing that love that's already there. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. Let's look at Isaiah 53. This, will, this paints, I don't know if I can use the word beautiful picture, but I'm kind, of a, I'm kind of a story person. And with my, with my imagination, and some of the youth guys know, that when I, tell, when I read a story in the Bible, like I can imagine some things in that, in that situation, and it helps me remember that it's a real, it's like Jason taught us, it's, it's an account, it's not a story made up. Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus and what happened to him going to the cross for us. I'm just going to read it. It'll be up there probably, but, but if it helps you to get a picture, I mean, don't be shy. I won't judge you if you close your eyes and just imagine, okay? 
I'm going to start in verse 2. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot. So it's talking about Jesus. Like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his present appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. I'm just going to interject something here that made a big impact on me when I heard this. He never said a word. Because if Jesus would have opened his mouth to defend himself, remember all those times he was in a court? Well, who are you and why are you this and whose name are you using? And he was being questioned and questioned and questioned. And if he would have opened his mouth in defense of himself, the Lord would have been obligated, like the Lord God would have been obligated to release a legion of angels to go and shake that place and free Jesus because Jesus was not guilty. And the Lord would have been tied to his word that he can't punish a non-guilty man. That so had he opened his mouth to defend himself, we would not be free. We would not know the one who loves us. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep is silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. And no one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Listen to this. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. It was God's good plan to crush Jesus and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made when Jesus' life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. You see, the Lord could see that though he started with one begotten son, by crushing him and putting on him the sin load of all the other sons, he would gain all those sons, me and you, back. So now the Lord not only has Jesus, his only begotten son, I guess he's not his only begotten son, he's got the rest of us as well. Because if the Lord would have, if Jesus wouldn't have been available to take our crushing for us, and we had to take the crushing ourselves, there'd be no way for us to come back. That would be the end of it. 
Oh, I can see this is getting a little bit down. Don't worry, we're coming back up. And because of Jesus' experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. This is getting better. For he will bear all their sins, and I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. You see, it gave God good pleasure because he could see that by crushing Jesus, not only would he get Jesus back, but that he would gain the rest of us as well. It was a win-win situation. It pleased God for Jesus to suffer instead of us. We would have been crushed with no hope. But he could see the end. And he could see that, that Jesus being crushed once wasn't the end. But that, he would, but that God would exalt him and lift him up again. And that because through that whole process, God could enjoy freely loving his creation, and experiencing friendship with us. Let's look at some more evidence. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. I'm going to take another little, quick little bunny trail. Because at camp, we learned that that's where all the good carrots are, right? Back at, right at the beginning of that, even before he made the world, God loved us. God decided in advance to adopt us. Before he made the world, this challenged me a while ago because it got me thinking from in the garden when the devil deceived Eve and Adam chose to sin against God that I was thinking about what was God like in that moment. And this, this tells me that he wasn't surprised. The, the plan of salvation, Jesus coming, wasn't plan B. It was plan A all along. Because when God created us, we were created with, well, we were the only thing ever created in his likeness to begin with. And he gave us the free will like he, gave to the, like he gave to others, like Lucifer had a free will, obviously. He exercised that in a negative way. But, and he, he knew that, we would, that it would just, we would be tempted and we wouldn't be able to handle it, but that was okay because he was enough. His love was enough for us to have, to have a relationship with him. Before that foundation of the world he had this all planned out, and he knew that it was going to work. I, that just blessed me, because he wasn't surprised. God is not led around by the devil. Let me tell you that. Never has been, never will be. So, I'll just reread this one part here. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. 
he actually had to legally, he had to purchase our freedom back. Well, the only thing valuable enough to buy us back was the blood of Jesus. Let's talk about why was Jesus so valuable? Well, he was the son of God. He was God God himself, the part of God that we call the son of God. And the very life of God was in his blood when he was here on earth. Through his blood was the life of God. And that blood was worth more than any other substance because it could never be corrupted and it could never be ruined. Oh, that's a big fly. (laughs) Jesus was the sum of everything God had in heaven. Think about what was at God's disposal. He was the one that created the planets, the universe. He could have tried to say, well... Lucifer, will you take, like, let's say if I give you ten planets, maybe three streets of gold, I don't know, do you want the pearly gate? Like, was that, would that be enough to get them back? He knew that that wouldn't be enough. But in Jesus, Jesus encompasses all that heaven is. All the wealth, all the beauty, all the health, all the joy and peace was encompassed in Jesus and in his blood. There was only one son. We talked about that. There was only one son. And it was, so giving, giving that was the only thing God had one of. He only had one Jesus to give. And one chance to give him. I want you to listen to this. If I lost you before, I'm going to get you back here. If Jesus was that valuable and precious to God, And God gave him to get you. How valuable does that make you? How valuable does that make you? It proves, I feel like I'm in a courtroom, it proves that God considers you the most valuable being in all creation. You're the most valuable being in all creation. He gave everything for you to get you back. He gave his own son's blood that encompassed everything that he had. He gave it for you to get you back. And he got you back once and for all. Once and for all. There's no going back. He paid the price once, and that's all he only needed to pay once. I don't go in the grocery store, ring my groceries through, turn around, come around back through the aisle, and ring them through again. Do you do that? I don't pay for my groceries twice. People would think you're crazy. They'd probably take your money, but they'd still think you're crazy. It proves God considers you the most valuable and precious being in all creation. The payment made with Jesus' blood made us right with God again. You all might think I'm done. (laughs) But there's another amazing step that we need to get to. I'm just going to go back to the verses we were just on, Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. 
So, so far we've gotten verse 4, done. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That was purchasing us back with the blood of Jesus. But look at the next step. Verse 5 takes us on. God decided in advance not just to save us, but to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted, and it gave him great pleasure. So not only... So uh, we spoke this... I spoke part of this message in youth this year, but we talked about God's rescue plan. And then I mis- we did a message. He rescued you, but what did he do after, with you after he rescued you? And this is what we looked at. We're going to go to Romans 8. Start in verse 15. We're going to see how he didn't just rescue us and bring us into this place so that we could worship him and love him and give him all this praise and glory. We need to do that, and it's right to do that. But that's not all that we were designed for. Remember, we're his most valuable the most valuable being in all creation. So let's see what God wants from us. Verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father, Daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Galatians 3.26, let's go there. It says this, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you are all children of God through believing in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.9, Therefore God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Let's keep going. Ephesians 3, 14 to 15, New King James. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. We've been hearing about the the name of Jesus in this church. And it's the, the word tells us that we, the family of God, have been named after him self. Just like we named our children after with our last name. So you can, when you see me around, you can just say, hey, Fallon Cook Jesus. <laughs> because my name is the name. The name above all names belongs to me because I belong to Christ. I can tell some of you are getting excited. This is, this is good. Ephesians 1, 19 to 23. We're going to see again where Jesus has been placed. Starting in 19. I pray that you will understand the greatness of God's power for us who believe him. And this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead... And look where, look where he went after he was raised from the dead. The Lord seated him 
in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body and it's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Keep going. Just All we do is I skip down a few verses. Chapter 2, verse 5. But God, verse 4, we'll start in. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you, that you have been saved. Listen. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So where are you? In the kingdom of God? How does God value you? The same as he values Jesus. You, when he sees you, he sees Jesus in you. Head and body. And head and body are seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's not in the dirt somewhere saying, Oh God, I please, I just, if I could only hear you, if I could only see you, if you'd only speak to me, if I only knew your love. Know his love. Know it. Believe it. It's for you. It's for us as a family, a church, to know God's love and to, be, and to not be able to be convinced of anything else. That you are valuable. That you are needed in this family and in the, and in the wide kingdom of God. Not only in this earth, but after this earth is gone. We'll be doing missions in heaven, in the heavenlies. We'll be doing things, conquering things. I don't know it all, obviously. But this is just the beginning. And you need to get it right now how much God loves you and how much you're valued. Because it's only going up from here. We're only going up. This is the good news of the Bible, in case you're wondering. This is good news. Amen. Let me talk about this a little bit. So we're seated with Christ at the right hand of God. That right away brings to me right-hand man. And this is what the right-hand man, characteristics, like just in the dictionary, what the characteristics of a right-hand man are. The most reliable, efficient, valuable helper or assistant. That's us. We're God's most valuable, efficient, reliable helper and assistant here on earth and in the ages to come. A right-hand man is also a person who contributes to the fulfillment of a need or the furtherance of a purpose. As God's right-hand man, there is a purpose we're working to fulfill here. He needs us. Just think of it. Think of it. Brings me back to this. Live in love. Live in love. 1 John 4.16 says this. We know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who love him live in love. 
in love. Is that what it says? All who live in love. Yeah. I see I wrote it down. I missed a word, but that's okay. Live in love, live in God, and God lives in them. To live in something, we could say, to dwell or continue, the Amplified says. And to dwell is to live or stay as a permanent residence. So be a permanent resident in the love of God. That's where you are. You're in his love, so be in his love. Be a permanent resident there. It also means to live or continue in a given condition. Continue in the condition that you are. Right hand, the right hand of God, continue in that place. To dwell also means to linger over, to emphasize, or ponder in thought, speech, or writing. I just challenge you to think about the love of God. Spend your spare moments thinking about how much he loves you, how delighted he is to see you on the earth right now doing your thing, and how much joy it brings him when, when he's able to work with you and to accomplish things. It brings him great joy. Many times in youth, <clears throat> I end with reading this passage. Romans eight thirty one to 39. Again, you can read it on the screen with me, or you can just close your eyes and listen and let the Spirit just speak to you. Well, what should we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us, and we're there with him. I added that part. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed as evidence in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your spirit that shows us your love, that opens our hearts and our 
ears and our eyes to know that love. I pray for every person here that from your glorious and unlimited resources, Father, that you will empower us with inner strength through your spirit. Then Christ will make his home in our hearts as we trust in him. We believe our roots will go down deep into God's love and keep us strong. We have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how high, how long, how high, and how deep your love is for us. And may we experience the love of Christ, not just know of it, but experience it truly experience it. Then we will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Thank you, Jesus. I believe there's just, there's a little bit more the Lord wants to do this morning. If you all would just stand up for a minute here. Because some of you here this morning need, a, need something a little bit more than a nice service. You need a little bit more of the Holy Spirit working in you to, sh- to reveal to you the love of God. Because let me tell you, when you know and believe the love God has for you, it's life-changing. Because all of a sudden it goes from you trying to do things, trying to be a good Christian, trying to do the word, trying, 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 to you seeing yourself as already done and already accomplished these things. Because the Lord loves you, no matter what. As you are, right now, he sees you, the same way he sees Jesus. And at first, that's hard to believe. But let me tell you, we have the ability to believe. If you just put your hand on your heart, if you feel comfortable, you can repeat after me, Father God, I choose to believe how much you love me. I choose to believe that you so love me. Thank you for giving Jesus for me. You saved me. And you think I'm worth it. And all I have to do is believe in Jesus and I say thank you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, if you need to go further with this, I welcome you to come. The, the anointing, the burden-removing, yoke-destroying anointing of God is inside of you. If you know Christ, but it's when we come together in agreement, that anointing is grows exponentially. We can get through things together. So we thank you, Father. You can stay here.
We thank you, Father, for what you've done here today. And I plead the blood of Jesus over each one. I thank you that they will go home and that the word would stay planted in them, protected from the enemy. And I thank you that every lie that the enemy has ever tried to tell us again against how much you love us, it would be so obvious now that every lie would be exposed of how low we are in God's eyes. That every lie would now be revealed and that we would know the truth and that truth would make us free. So bless you all in the name of Jesus. If you want to come in for prayer, you come up here. Let's get, out, let's get after this thing. But if not, you'll be blessed. And you have some great fellowship with your family here today. Do you have anything for Pastor Ray?